You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Good show. All right, speaking of good shows, this is Global Trade This Week. I am uh, your co-host, Doug Draper, coming to you from the great state of Colorado, and my partner in crime, the grouch to my Oscar, over in the uh, New England area, Mr. Pete Mento. Pete, how you doing today? I'm great, bud. I'm great, bud. I'm figuring that you would be the Ernie to my Bert because I think Ernie was in the he was the he was in a happier mood. Uh, yeah, that's probably correct. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sesame Street. I was not allowed to watch Sesame Street in uh, growing up in my house. Yeah. That's a story for another day. Yeah. yeah, I speaking of well, <clears throat> you said another day, but I, I there's so many famous actors and actresses that have come out of that show um, from years and years ago. Uh, Morgan Freeman, probably the most mm-hmm. notable one, but there's there's others there that uh, it's been the uh, the springboard to a lot of good uh, uh, good actors out there. So, do you have a, a favorite Muppet, Doug? uh probably cookie monster would be one that would be up there yeah yeah good just yeah, i i i like kermit and i like snuffleupagus yeah yeah also animal animals awesome yeah 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 back in the day all right mm-hmm. what do we got this is not uh this is not about sesame street this is about global trade brought to you by what? cap logistics why can't it be, Doug? Why can't it be about Muppets? <laughs> we talk about some pretty bizarre crap on this show. And yeah. honestly, why can't it be about Muppets? Uh, you know, Jim Henson changed the world. I don't know. Yeah. Anyhow, so uh, I'm, I'm kicking off this week. And my, my topic, honestly, is one that we dance around a lot, but I'm, I'm going to go right after it. Uh, Something that needs to be said. It's kind of ugly, honestly. Uh, we're pissing the world off, Doug. We're making people pretty angry here in the good old U.S. of A. The United States is really pushing electric vehicles hard on the consumer. There's no, no two ways about it. If you look at both domestic policy and international policy, it's pretty clear that we are building a lot of infrastructure to recharge cars. We are pushing automotive manufacturers to make these cars. We're telling consumers that whether it's on a state level or a federal level, it's only a matter of time before owning a gas car is going to become a little more complicated than owning an electric car. So get it together. Now, I don't know if it's going to be 10 years from now or 20 years from now, or 50 years from now, but it's going to become kind of inconvenient to be the guy driving around in your F-350, you know, billowing diesel smoke all over the place. And the rest of the world is happy on the one hand that we're doing this because they are a bit more progressive in the green agenda, but they're also pretty annoyed because we have tied domestic policy to this a lot more closely than we've tied international policy. And that we have created 
a lot of the policy on green EVs with forcing companies to make them in the United States. What I mean by that is many of the electric vehicles that are being pushed on consumers have a percentage of content that must be made in the United States. The European Union, many of the countries in Asia, this really pisses them off because they don't have a similar requirement. So the USMCA, the artist formerly known as NAFTA, uh, it has a lot of language written in it about how cars have to have a certain amount of content from these from the three countries. Um, we have a lot of uh, beneficiary language about um, product that comes into the U.S. that's put into EVs. It has a high duty rate if it comes from other nations. We also have language in uh, the U.S.-U.K. free trade agreement, if it goes forward, that would require uh, duty-free treatment on EV equipment that would go into those. Anywhere that we're having new free trade agreements, there's beneficial uh, EV exports as well. We're tying a lot into it. And it's just being seen as sort of, you know, coercive language. And they don't see it as fair. Because we as a nation feel that we have a lot tied in to our innovation economy wrapped into EV technology. And to be fair, we have been at the cutting edge of EV development. We have pushed a lot of this technology and we have a lot written into the science that's built it. And I don't mean the science, you know, in that term. I mean, literally the science that's built into EVs. So Doug, we're making the whole world angry with this. Um, there's a lot of pressure on President Biden to do something about it, but it's making a lot of jobs that make a lot of people in this country happy because it's seen as a long-term opportunity for the blue collar work that's really more like, you know, that baby blue collar where it is technology manufacturing jobs that have a long tail to them that could really build opportunity for American workers. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> good domestic policy will get you elected, right? So that's the True. one arm of it. Um, and then uh, good international policy will make you friendly. That's the right, the right terminology. So I, I don't see the messaging changing a whole lot, especially in the next, uh, in the next year as we lead up to, to the election. But it's kind of a yin and a yang, um, I, I know, contradictory uh, messaging, but I, I don't see it changing. And it'll be interesting to see how it's, it's pivoted. But, you know, the raw material, so to speak, to make the cars um, sourced internationally across across the pond, and the assembly and the manufacturing done in the U.S. I mean, the auto industry as a whole done that very well for a very long time. But it, it is right, you, or you are right. It is um, contradictory in in nature with the messaging that's going out um, uh, from the U.S. Pretty pretty interesting to see how it'll play out. Yeah, you're, you're, he's damned if he does. He's damned if he doesn't. Kind of can't win. So. You might as well keep the people that are electing you happy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, Doug, what do you got? All right, man. So th this is, um, I did a, not a speech, I did a Zoom a couple years ago about the dispersion of the economy, meaning that control and decision-making is pushing more and more to the end consumer like you and I. And it's being done through technology where you're eliminating the middleman and, um, and, and empowering the end user. And the one thing that <clears throat> came to mind was 
what's the deal or when the dispersion of ocean freight and air freight bookings going to going to happen so think of it pete i refer to it as like the price line of freight right so there's all kinds of companies out there that are spinning it and and forwarders uh, we have a strong connection obviously with the freight forwarding industry um, but the idea of having an app on your phone where you as the end consumer can go in there and say this week uh, for this shipment uh, I want to find open space or I'm willing to pay this amount of money for an LCL shipment coming into the US and this week I'll I'll route it through Oakland and then on my next one I'll route it through Houston and to have that control on the individual level to disperse the decision making uh, down to the, literally the hand the palm uh, of the consumer so it, it it's happened with uh, you know the way we search for rental cars and hotels and things of that nature uh, but I'm interested to see when that can happen when I can be on a ski lift Pete and I can pull up my app and I can select X dollars per cubic meter and I want it to go through this direction and I want this to happen um, I'm waiting for that I'm waiting for that te technology out there and from what I've seen it doesn't exist there may be companies out there spinning that as automation or control or choice from the end user but give me a price line for my freight um, and, and I think that's going to be some uh, big pivot or disruptor if you will in, in the industry the big ones the big guys the big importers Walmart targets the Amazons may not be applicable but if it's a small to medium-sized shipper that wants that control I've not seen it out there and I think it's going to come eventually. Maybe not. I, I I don't know. What's your take on it? I think it's not only going to come out. I think it's becoming more and more likely between artificial intelligence, machine learning, and the use of predictive data. When you add those three things together, it becomes likely. Not not just not just possible. It becomes likely. Being able to take a look at historical data and say, given all of the things that are happening currently or are likely to happen given a certain time frame, what's the best possible routing, best possible carrier for something to happen and then make a decision for me? I think that's a very real predictable possibility. We were working on a, uh, a TMS, my partner, Dell and I, we were able to buy, you know, someone had out there 20 years worth of airport data between all the airports in the world. What was the, um, what was the, uh, on time, you know, how often were they on time? How late were they? How early were they between this airport and this airport for all the airports in the world hmm. over a 10 year period. And then we had a bunch of data scientists take that information and we can upload it to it. So if we knew that, a flight from, as an example, from London to New York was going to be late. And then we could see from that flight how every other flight was going to be affected. We could make decisions how to reroute freight based on that or how to update clients based on that. And it's incredibly valuable, you know. And then over the course of years, we could say how likely on August the 7th is a flight from that place to that place going to be late because of weather patterns, because of whatever the case may be. 
that's very valuable information. And I think that, uh, you know, an AI, given that information, a bunch of other pieces of information would be able to make more predictable decisions than any human being ever could. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's going to happen. Yeah. <clears throat> and some of that exists now, but there's still an mm-hmm. intermediary, right? There's all kinds of data that people like service providers have access to, and then they disseminate it um, to their clients. But the dispersion is to put that all the way to the end consumer that can see those things and make those decisions real time and let me make that decision. Give me the data, right? That That's what's missing. And I think you nailed it, right? It's going to happen. Uh, and it's going to be a huge disruptor in our industry. It's just getting the opportunity for something to make that decision in the hands of, um, of a company or a system and then promulgating that to the consumer. Someone's going to figure that out. Someone's going to put it there and people are going to get comfortable with it. It's, it's going to have to prove over and over again that it can make that decision and that it can do it safely. And then it's going to fail. Um, I think the, our industry's ability to overcome a couple of failures because it's going to fail. It's, it's just going to fail, right? You know, and when it does fail, how well does it recover from that failure? Uh, that that's also going to be super important because every system fails. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. All right. So, uh, our favorite part, one of my favorite parts of the show, Pete, is that we can just go off and talk about whatever we want. Right. And some of the topics that our listeners don't see that you and I come back and forth with would probably get us kicked off the air, but um, it's always good. So halftime, as you know, is brought to you by Cap Logistics. Uh, we wouldn't be here every week without them, and we appreciate their support. So CapLogistics.com enables the show and halftime to happen. So Pete, you got an interesting one. I don't know. You want to roll this thing first? You want me to go? Yeah, yeah, I'll go first. Uh, my my daughter Charlotte was up last week. And um, she and I love movies, so we went and saw two last week. She is 17. We saw The Haunted Mansion, which was far more entertaining than I expected it to be. So I will give that a B minus. It was better than the original with Eddie Murphy. Uh, But we also went and saw Barbie. (laughs) The Barbie movie. Now, my daughter Charlotte is a bit of a social warrior um, and very much a feminist, um, very much a liberal. And uh, she insisted that we see this movie, and she was delighted in bringing her old crotchety father with her. Uh, when I sent Doug my topic, I said, I went and saw Barbie so that no one else has to. And here, here is my, my very quick review. It was not at all what I expected. So there's that. It was not, it was not a it was not a kid's movie about a toy. So it was very much a statement movie. Um it was it was um it was a thought piece hmm. with a political agenda, and it was definitely not meant for an old mostly white guy how about that um it was not meant to speak to me it was not meant to inform myself or change my mind uh however i did find it very funny 
there were some there were some laugh out loud moments for me and there were some very touching moments for me as the father of daughters and i don't want my money back uh you know i did enjoy it enough to to find parts of it that did touch me and um yeah i mean i i don't understand why it's a worldwide phenomenon but it was um, it was it was good enough to keep my attention for the hour and fifteen minutes that I sat through it, Doug. Hmm. Um, but I still don't get it. <laughs> so maybe if I the never haunted will. mansion was a B, if the haunted mansion was a B minus, what was Barbie? Oh, it's a hard C minus. Yeah, um, it's a it's a movie that if if I was on a plane, I probably. I probably would have watched it on a plane on you know, you that pick your own. Like if I'm flying to Asia, I probably would have watched it after a couple other things. Like I, you know, Margot Robbie is, is a, is an absolutely incredible actress. I'd watch her in anything. Um, Ryan Gosling is hysterical. He is hysterical in this movie. He's, I don't know if he's actually that, that oblivious he i don't know how anyone can play anyone that stupid and not be at least a little bit that stupid and will ferrell is in it and he is always hysterical so um they were they were quite good the two of them were very 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 funny and that's that's kind of what made the movie for me is that he was just so dumb he was so dumb uh <laughs> that, that it, you could not stop laughing at it but it was it was the typical like modern writing of a man like uh men have to be bumbling idiots in order for it to be approved by hollywood these days like you know if, if you if you notice anything like like the father in anything written um in in greenlit in today's hollywood streaming service kind of the father has to be a moron um you know an effective moron um in order for it to be okay and in this in this it was no different you know Ken is an ineffective idiot who, when left to his own devices, ruins everything. So it's the same thing. Um, and I, I think that's just part of the, the modern trope of Hollywood. Just as in the, in the old modern trope of Hollywood, left to our own devices, Lucy ruins everything. So somewhere between those two, there will be a balance where, uh, you know, gender doesn't necessarily equate to uh, a negative outcome, which is the way it should be. So maybe that's the lesson one could learn um, by watching both of those. But uh, also one more thing I'll say about the movie. It is absolutely awesome to see how they could take the toy part of it and make it look real. Like, because you, you've, you've got a daughter, you've been around Barbie stuff, like the Barbie dream house, the Barbie car, the Barbie, the Barbie clothes, like, to turn it into like a real thing. They did not make it dorky. Like they didn't make it, they didn't make it un, uncool. Like it was actually kind of cool to see them turn that world into a movie set and it was neat. So I did enjoy that. And as like, I'm, a, I'm a film guy, right? Like you, you know that about me. So I had a lot of appreciation for what the director did with that. And um, the last 10 minutes of the film were, were very good. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I can't crap on it, Doug. I can't. So it's just an average. It's an average but good film. So nice. It is not. It is not Oppenheimer. 
It is not Oppenheimer. But again, Margot Robbie, if you have not seen Babylon, she was absolutely amazing in it. If you, one of the best performances I've seen by an actor in a long time, you know, so go check that out if you want to be blown away by her, by her chops. Yeah. All right, Doug, what do you got? All right. Well, we're going, uh, we're going deep on this one here. Um, So Pete, my take on this is that we need to bring back the draft as a, um, we nation. sound like a couple of really angry old men today, bud. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Bring back the draft. And what I'm referring to um, specifically is Job Corps, AmeriCorps, and Peace Corps. And you, you have a daughter that is just about to enter college. I have a son that just graduated, and my daughter is going to be a senior. And mm-hmm. I also am involved with mentoring and um uh, young men entering college in their freshman year at the University of Kansas. And um, the, the one thing that we're seeing that I have personally seen with two kids um, and also these kids that I'm, that I'm uh, working with is that they need something in between high school and college, right? I'm a huge believer, um, become one about a gap year. Right. That was kind of the hip thing when everybody's going through COVID and they're like, I don't know what I want to do. I'm going to do a gap year. And some of that was sitting in the basement playing video games. But I think if there's some sort of government supported program that can help young kids gain experience and connect with others, um, I think they would have tremendous value because I think children and kids need that more so now than when you and I were transitioning from high school to college. The key things these kids look for is, will I make friends in college? Did I pick the right major? And did I make the right the right choice? Those are all things of uh, uncertainty. And the those corps, Job Corps, AmeriCorps, and Peace Corps, can provide guidance and direction in life so they know what to do when they take that next step, right? There needs to be a sense of belonging, a purpose, and, and kind of a common goal. And the common goal thing, Pete, uh, is impactful because we have no common goal anymore as, as, as Americans, in my opinion, because of the divisiveness that's going on in our political nature and all that kind of stuff. But I think that getting kids back and really encouraging a year off and engaging with one of those three organizations to really figure out what you want to do will help the kid make a better decision on what they want to do as they go into college and take the next step in their lives. And so in my time with my kids, and, uh, and being around a lot of uh, 18 to 20 year olds now, um, they need a gap year. And I think if we bring back the draft in the sense of Job Corps, AmeriCorps and Peace Corps, I think it'll well position uh, the next generation to really understand what they want, provide guidance and direction and a sense of belonging. So a little heavier topic than normal on Halftime Pete, but uh, I wanted to bring that up. All right, so uh, I am, morally and ethically opposed to drafts so i'm just gonna start that off from the very beginning i don't believe that yeah you're looking around like somebody's behind your back about ready to attack you no i just i worry about ever being political but that's something that i am deeply deeply opposed to my father was drafted um it ended up i would not be alive if it hadn't been for that because my father met my mother after he got drafted in the army. My mom joined the army of her own volition because she's a very patriotic woman. 
Um, she wanted to go to Vietnam and help them boys. Uh, but my father, you know, got kicked out of college and rest is history. But I'm deeply opposed to drafts. However, I am very much for what you're talking about. Uh, gap years are wonderful. And having known and met a lot of young people from Europe, many of them do exactly what you're talking about. They take time off in between a year or two after they finish, you know, their public schooling and, and or private schooling and before they go to universities or start their careers. And I think it's very good for them. But more importantly, Job Corps, Peace Corps. In Boston, we have something called City Year, which I don't know if you've heard of, mm-hmm. where they they do everything from working at public schools, working for local government, working for the state government, whatever the case may be. I think it's uh, wonderful and privileging. Now, being opposed to the draft, I am, however, very much in favor of voluntary service to the U.S. military. <laughs> so I think uh, I think that that's also incredibly wonderful. I think that serving one's country any way that you can is um, or one's one's local city, one's government, volunteering for fire service, EMT, first responders, joining the joining the uh, National Guard. These are all wonderful things to do as a young person. Being a Boy Scout, being a Girl Scout, my youngest daughter is still a Girl Scout, you know, at 17 years old. Just fantastic park services. Anything that you can volunteer, join the Humane Society, work in a shelter, work in women's shelters, help your church, just giving. One of the biggest problems that I notice with younger people that I work with is, it's a terrible word, Doug, but it's just selfish, selfish, uh, selfishness, not understanding just the, the the great opportunities that come from setting your ego aside, which is a problem that I had as a young person that was mercilessly beat out of me, literally and figuratively, the first time I got on a ship. And I, I really, I needed it. So uh, I agree with you, Beth. There, there's a lot of good that could come from service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So there's the uh, there's our disclaimer a little a little heavier than normal on our on our halftime. We'll, we'll get back to the shenanigans next week. Yeah, buddy. So, all right. All right. So um, my next my next topic is it's pretty cool, man. So it's a bizarre financial 180. So the course of this week we have a ton of reporting um, that is really deeply focused on um, on inflation. So the inflationary numbers for China come out on Wednesday. And we're expected to hear that they're in a world of deflation. The uh, inflation numbers come out for the UK, and they're they're going to be pretty good. But the bad news is, is the GDP numbers are super bad. They're just not growing. The economy in the UK is really, really awful. And the strangest of all is the United States, where we're expecting to get numbers that tell us, unfortunately, that, uh, for, well, fortunately, that it sounds like the Fed is probably going to stop their, their endless increases of rates. Um, and that we're probably going to hear the worst, quote unquote, worst is over. That things are probably going to start getting better. But unfortunately, we're probably not going to see a change in the housing market. We're probably not going to see a lot of crazy growth happening. That um, the American economy is sort of at its apex right now. It's, it, this is all going to create a lot of uncertainty in global markets. Normally, what happens in a time like this is that everything starts to get better. 
what sounds like the Chinese economy is about to start to get worse, that the United Kingdom's economy is about to get worse, that the European economy is about to get worse. Well, that might drag the American economy down with it. Even though every single American economic indicator is great. So what's going to happen, buddy? We don't know. We don't know. We're in uncharted waters, my friend, which economists love, but consumers hate. <laughs> Can't wait, yeah. bud. Yeah. Well, the the one thing that caught my attention on this one is the um, the strict COVID lockdown in China, right? That was um, this whole thing was unprecedented. So I can't say that was unprecedented to other things, but it's almost like strict lockdown, almost like a bear harb, uh, hibernating, right? Where all of a sudden they they wake up and those restrictions are gone and they just realize the demand is not there anymore. The production is down. There's not as many exports. And it, it's like they, they were unaware of, of that. And, and what you just described is a manifestation of it, um, which uh, is, is striking. And their kind of China is kind of the point of origin of a lot of things that happen because that's where the factories are. That's where things are being made. That's where, you know, all the stuff that we don't need uh, that we that we consume. So that's always the point of origin. But that was the first thing is that I think a lot of that has to do with their strict um, COVID lockdown rules. And when they finally lifted, holy crap, nobody's buying anything across the across the world as much as they were uh, before we went in to hibernation. And uh, I think you're seeing some of that manifest. I think the um, this is one small aspect going over to the UK. I think fuel from what I've read has gone down and come down a little bit, which I think definitely has a, a huge impact to, to kind of uh, uh, pivot over there. But it, it'll be interesting because everybody is at this tipping point, right? It was a spiral down or spiral up it, it, with, with inflation and everything's right at this tipping point, right? So what direction is it going to go um, left or right? Which, like you said, the economists love the uncertainty and the consumers like, just give me something that I can grab onto and, and feel some comfort. So it, it'll be yeah. an interesting, uh, uh, you know, reports and, and interesting what's to come in the next six months. Yeah, buddy. All right, man, bring us home. All right. So th this is um, kind of going more towards my, I have a humanistic uh, approach to my topics um, this, uh, this week, Pete, it's kind of funny. Um, so I read this article um, that I got, uh, somebody had sent to me about warehouse warehouse automation. It was specific to, um, to to Walmart, and they talked about all the automation that's coming in there, and that robots are doing the heavy lifting and the and the hauling, and and how everybody that was on the floor chucking boxes and and doing a lot of labor to keep the machine moving forward are are now don't need to do that anymore. They can go in and and manage the robots and manage the machinery and, and look at this great advancements of your career where you don't have to do that anymore. And I think there's a decent amount of people out there, Pete, that like it, that like the, the, um, the labor, the hard days, the enjoyment of ending the day and saying, I accomplished something today with my hands. And um, not everybody wants to evolve in the hierarchy and be able to run the machines and, and and go from touching a box and moving a forklift 
and moving something tangible across the warehouse floor, loading an aircraft, um, unloading an ocean vessel. There's a lot of people that like still doing that. Um, and they may not necessarily want to go into an office and, and do all that with a joystick behind a computer screen. And so automation's coming. It's not going away and it will continue to evolve. But there's going to be a worker, workers out there that don't want to evolve with it. And it could be a whole group of people that just eject and, and don't have a place to go. Um, but I think this whole point, Pete, is that automation's coming. And I think there's a lot of people out there that, that, that don't like it for a variety of reasons. And some of those just like to work with their hands. At the end of the day, I like being tired. I like enjoying the fact that I accomplished something and helped somebody with my hands to move the supply chain forward. So that's a group of people I think is overlooked too often. And so, um, I don't know, that's my take when I read that article. I think this is a hard one. This is a really hard one to opine on, Doug. And the reason is that hard work is changing. You can still be a carpenter, but you've got to use a nail gun. And you can still be a mechanic, but you've got to use a pneumatic wrench. Uh, the technology that we use to do hard work is different now. The guys that are out doing the hard work out on the street are doing it differently. They're not digging ditches with, with pikes and, and trench axes, you know. Um, I have a lot of respect for the noble work of the hardworking man. They're still going to do hard work. They're just going to do it with different technology. And I think that they're going to do more work just with fewer people. So maybe they'll do different hard work. There's always going to be somebody doing hard work. Yeah. Um, but maybe you're right. You know, maybe they won't be doing as much hard work in that warehousing industry. There's always going to be somebody doing hard work that we just can't automate. I, I shouldn't say always. There, there could be work that we just cannot, that there's, maybe, maybe there's going to be work that, that we end up automating. Maybe that's the first thing we automate. It's the hardest of work until there's just no more hard work to automate. Maybe that's the direction all this goes. That's why I, I, I wonder how big this population is going to get. Yeah. You know, the population just keeps getting smaller and smaller because of it. This is a, a tough topic, Doug, because there is there is nobility in hard work. We come from a you and I come from a different type of family, you know, and yeah. that was a measure of a man, somebody who yeah. worked hard. Yeah, and I, well, I, I like fear that, that nobility that of, and hard work. Nobility yeah, and hard work. That that's unfortunately that type of appreciation is starting to go away. There's not that many people who are doing that kind of hard work anymore, and the appreciation of that is going away. Yeah, yeah, agreed. All right, all right. Well, um, that's going to be it for global trade this week. On that Debbie Downer of a note, uh, for my end, I apologize for that. But um, we'll be back next week. We want to thank the good folks at Cap Logistics for supporting us again, as always. Thanks, Keenan, for keeping all the uh, the knobs where they're supposed to be and the bobbles and the beeps and all the rest of it. Thank all of you for listening, as we always do. We'll see you again next week. Thanks, Doug. 
um, right. for another edition of Global Trade this week. Adios, awesome. Everybody. Thanks. Thanks, Pete. See ya.